Hello, everyone, and welcome to Brownies Behind Enemy Lines, the podcast, a podcast by two friends closer to Pittsburgh than we are to Cleveland. And with that, let's get started with the show. Vecchi, numero uno, baby. Number one. So uh, I guess let's stay and get started. Um, welcome to episode one of Brownies Behind Enemy Lines, a goofy name for a podcast of a couple buddies that just decided to get together and talk about our favorite team in the NFL, the Cleveland Browns. Uh, I'm Zach, and my other host... I'm Matt. So as we kind of get started here, we just kind of came together. We both work together. We're both uh, teachers and coaches and all that sort of stuff. Um, But we had these conversations that we thought were really, really awesome about the Browns. And it just sounded like two buddies talking about sports, but then it also sort of evolved into being a little bit more technical. And, you know colleagues becoming really close friends and so we thought we'd throw this podcast together to just sort of talk about our mutual fandom you know one thing that always uh that you know from our earliest talks Zach, you know both of us having dads passionate about the browns you know and uh and your dad more probably in the era coming up in the browns uh so the big year for me remembering and then you later on you picking up from your dad's passion sort of how i did too my dad sort of sort of uh you know got me fired up and then he kind of backed off from the browns <laughs> but uh but yeah anyway. i think that's why we have such a cool interesting perspective is that you know like i don't want to say like you're an old school fan but you know you uh you have the cardiac kids and that sort of era perspective and then i have the post move sadness <laughs> <laughs> Well, hope hopefully it'll be gladness this year. You know when we get hopefully, yeah, when we get get rolling. As well, is the idiom, there's always next year. <laughs> and uh, so we were both going to talk about hey to start off today some early, you know, some games and got us different fired up and uh, kind of stoked our interest early. And for me, um, you know that you mentioned it already, but. That 1980 cardiac kid season, 11 and five. Brian's number 17 from San Diego State. You know, in my uh, my all time favorite Browns connection, Sipe to Logan down the sideline. Big Dave jumping up over somebody and, and pulling one in on the sideline. But uh, so we'll talk funny dad moments, Zach, here today. But I'll, I'll never forget, you know, Red, right. 88 the famous play mike davis picks off uh sipe so red right 88 matt um let's let's pretend for a second that i'm not a normal browns fan that's watched Uh, that all right set set the scene for me what's what's the situation here we're 11 and 5 um we got the raiders coming to town um we figure we can beat them it's cold it's brutal cold and this is actually kind of funny zachy and i didn't know this about it but uh, so it's January 4th, 81, Lakefront Municipal Stadium. And it was four degrees at kickoff. Windchill was about minus 20. Second to that day, and I don't know if it's ever been usurped, but it was the second coldest on record day, NFL day in history. Second only behind the ice bowl. 67. Uh, a quick a quick googling or uh, whipping out yep. my phone as you like to call it uh, shows me that um, it looks like that's still the case. It looks like red red eighty eight is st- red red eighty eight is still the second coldest. Ooh man! But uh, 
you know, a good Raiders team. And uh, so it was back and forth as that whole season was so back and forth. But uh, being a young fan, you know, watching every game with my dad, uh, one thing that we saw are the home games for sure. I, I saw a bunch of games that year, but it was a lot of first that year. And um, some things that come to mind were, were that, uh, you know, the Steelers had owned us. They were coming off the four Super Bowls there that they had. Uh, and, and, and they had, you know, they were coming at maybe towards the end of their string, I guess. Uh, 74, 75, 78, 79, they'd won Super Bowls, you know, so this is 80. And um, we had a dramatic victory earlier that year against the Steelers at Municipal, 27-26, one of the great Browns games. Sype led us back, uh, you know, and then uh, some a couple great defensive plays at the end. But So the thing was, uh, you know, we had had this dramatic uh, victory against the Steelers earlier, and it sort of set it up. You know, we uh, were playing well. Uh, we beat the Bengals last game of the year to win the Central. Uh, we had to have that. So it was um, – it was a team that you had confidence in and, you know, shaky confidence. They were the cardiac kids, but, uh, but, you know, we had a solid team. You're one of your guys, the wizard of Oz, right? When yeah. You- well, uh, my, my dad uh, loved telling stories about Brian Sype. Like he was like his all time favorite player. You know, I wasn't alive during the Brian Sype days, but dad yeah. swore that Sype and Kozar and like any of those quarterbacks from that era were like his favorites, but he said he loved Sype. And I remember him being really upset. I think it was Braylon Edwards ended up taking Brian Sipes' jersey number. Mm. I think my dad yeah. was furious. Seventeen, he, goes, he was so mad. He's like, nobody <laughs> should be wearing Brian Sipes' number ever. And I'm like, wait, why? And like, I was still kind of young when we drafted yeah. Braylon. That was what, like 2004. Hey, people forget Sipes was MVP of the league in 1980 in that year. He yeah, was actually, he was league he was MVP. Slinging, he was slinging around. Um, yeah. But I remember wow. my dad was furious that Bray- that Braylon Edwards was going to wear Brian's <laughs> jersey. And, you know, I'm a young fan so. at that point. I don't even – at that point, I don't even know if I knew who Brian Sype was until he started <laughs> getting really upset about it. Oh, uh, hey, so that game, January 4, man, uh, 81, and a uh, back-and-forth game. And um, I just remember as a kid – that that final drive the Raiders had the ball we actually had to stuff the Raiders there in the fourth with like I don't know three minutes to go Browns get the ball drive down um you know Pruitt makes a a nice catch and and uh you know Sipes get us down there in action and I remember as a kid thinking I wanted Cockcroft to kick the winning field goal and I I think they were on what the 13. Yes, and Rotigliano, he, he Rotigliano famously said, "He said, throw it in Lake Erie if nobody's open." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, Brian Sipe, he um, he taketh and he giveth away sometimes, you know. And uh, so he sort of fluttered a pass, and uh, Mike Davis from the Raiders, who was known for his hitting, he was a heck of a tackler. He and but he, he didn't catch the ball too many times. <laughs> you know, something you know, sometimes if you can't play wide receiver, you can play cornerback. But so playing safety and he makes the pick, comes across Ozzie Newsom, which now looking at the time, I thought, man, he came like over his top and he made like this amazing play. But I was sort of watching it again and I was like, oh, 
it was just a horrible pass by sight. I mean, let's be real here. You can be the best football player in the world. Nobody's throwing a great ball at minus 20. <laughs> no, and that, it was windy that day, Zach. It was windy, too, so it seems crazy. But anyway, uh, looking back on it, no, but getting back to our dads, our passionate dads. Well, my dad, we had a new used lazy boy, and we're sitting there on the edge. I'll never forget, I'm sitting on this edge of the couch by dad. He's his lazy boy. And that pick, and I am instantly, my 10-year-old self starts bawling. <laughs> well, my dad lifts up our new used Lazy Boy up over his head, slams it down, breaking off one wooden leg. <laughs> Mom was super outraged. You know, dad goes upstairs. We hear a bunch of rumbling around upstairs and slamming stuff. And uh, But I just remember thinking that that was such, you know, the, the Browns had Super Bowl hopes there that year, and, and we kind of all thought it could be done, and we expected maybe another great finish, another fantastic finish. Um, in retrospect, you know, and, and I remember my young self had wanted Don Cockroft, the front the front on kicker, the straight straight kicker. <laughs> To come in and kick that, but you know he had missed two kicks. Uh, well, and um, I know I know I don't know how municipal field was because you know I never got to see any games at the at the original Muni field. Yeah, but uh, there's an old idiom that Phil Dawson loves to tell about uh, Cleveland Browns Stadium. He's like, you know, you could be sitting there and looking up at the goalposts and see the flags on both goalposts blowing in the opposite direction. So I mean, that location isn't always the easiest to kick it, in. That uh, that's for sure. It wasn't for sure, you know. Uh, and I was telling you, I think it was 2015, the Petten era there, um, Arizona Cardinals game. It was kind of a crappy game, but I, the Browns were up early, and then uh, that was the year we signed Kenny Britt. I think the no <laughs> separation Kenny Britt. But uh, I was up there with my dad, and we sat by a couple of guys that they had been. Uh, at that divisional game against the Raiders. And they said, man, you can't understand at home how icy and cold and not a sure thing it was. He said, if you were there in the stadium, they were there with their dad. They were young. Uh, they both played some college football at Urbana. So they were playing there at the time and they'd come up with their dad. But they said, you, you can't understand how icy and cold it, it was. But, uh, ah. You know, he kicked two 30-yard field goals that game already. So, I think, you know, and obviously if Rotigliano said, you know, <laughs> throw it in Lake Erie, he, he was counting on Cockcroft to get yeah. that too. Now, in 2011, I think it was, yeah. uh, I went to – I want to say it was 2011. Yeah, um, I would have gone – it was Brandon Whedon's rookie year, if that dates it. Oh, I think yeah. it was 2011. But my grandmother and I went up for a game and they had this like fan night at the stadium beforehand. And uh, Retigliano was there speaking and he said, you know, for everything that I've gotten hell for over my career, he goes, I don't think I've ever heard the end of Red Right 88. He's like, every fan I run into has some opinion on it. And uh, you know what, as, as a coach, I feel that because, you know, if you feel like your kicker's dinged up, you feel like it's cold, he's not going to be able to do a good job, and you tell your quarterback, throw it in Lake Erie if it's not there. I mean. And, you know, 
I don't know. Cockroft had kicked us some uh, many game-winning field goals, and um, maybe it wasn't a sure thing, but he also could be clutch at times. And, yeah, I mean, uh, Cockroft, he, and he was a cool dude. Um, I remember that same event. He was there promoting his Cardiac Kids book. And uh, my dad was living in Florida at the time. And so my grandmother and I went and we got uh, we got Don to sign it. And my grandmother, funny story, was real smitten with Don Cockroft. Uh, <laughs> she was sitting there and I was like, go, Grandma, get your flirt on. Uh, but we got we got him to sign it. And then uh, we just missed the line. They had other cardiac kid legends there to sort of go with the promotion. Uh, so we just missed that. And then afterwards, we were uh, – we couldn't get in the line to get like Bernie and all those guys to sign it. And there's this dude walking by and I'm like, that guy looks real familiar. And I go, Hey, uh, Mr. Haslam. And the guy turns around and it's Jimmy Haslam who had just bought the team at that point. Wow. And I got a picture with Jimmy Haslam at that event. It was kind of wild. Um, I told him, I was like, listen, and, and this kind of sort of goes with our theme of our podcast. I said, listen, I know you used to be a minority owner of the Steelers, but you got to tell me you burned that crap. And he smiled and he goes, yes, sir. Okay. I'm all Browns now. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Well, I, man, and I, I don't know if his book, it, I'm sure he discusses it in his book. I need to get a copy of Cockroft's book, but uh, I'm sure he talks about that play. But I, I remember um, he'd had some injuries that year. And I think we had talked about it. he even had some epidurals to deal with pain, like getting an injection into his spinal column. You know, Jeez, that's wild. he was dinged up that year. But uh, he, he had made two kicks of that game. But he also Paul McDonald fumbled a, a snap for an extra point, and then the stork from the Raiders that he, they used to call Ted Hendricks, six seven dude, he he blocked another one. So maybe uh. I, I site probably was feeling like it wasn't maybe site thought it wasn't at all a sure thing. Well, I mean, Cockroft. I mean, and if you look at it this way too, I mean, I've, I've always sort of thought this way. If site was playing at an MVP level that season, right. And yeah. your kicker had an epidural, you know, had missed an extra point because of a botched yeah. snap. Hmm. Who would you rather have your franchise game in your MVP quarterback or your kicker on a cold turf on a windy day. I think I would probably lead my quarterback. Yes. So, you know, but, um, and then the thing, you know, in retrospect, and we always do this as Browns fans, or we do this a lot anyway, but what could have been, and then I, I see, uh, you know, that Raiders team, then eventual Super Bowl champions, they go out and they beat pretty much dominated the chargers and then there was a little late Chargers comeback. Uh, Dan Fouts Chargers, thirty-four twenty-seven uh, in the AFC Championship. And then, and then pretty much throttle the Eagles, Jaworski and the Eagles in Super Bowl fifteen. You know. Yeah, so I was going to say how many how many of those cardiac kids teams, Matt, were uh, you know if they would have won going on to the championship or in the champ or would have would have been Super Bowl champs. I mean, so I mean Bernie was. Bernie was tough. Yeah, Bernie um Bernie had Bernie was clutch and and good. So uh, the painful Bernie loss down in Miami, ooh, up 21 yeah. to 3 at halftime. That that kills me, but uh but I'll tell you um that game, I just thought, ah, oh, as a kid, you know, that was so crushing 
that set me on my cardiac browns, <laughs> which, you know, make it close. And, you know, I'm sure uh, our buddy Shane will have some stuff our Steelers fan to say about, about that. Um, so how about you, Zachy? How about what game comes to mind for you and your debt with your dad? So uh, my dad's fandom uh, that he sort of got me started um, just sort of a full disclosure here. Uh, my father passed away uh, several years ago, but the one thing we always bonded over was Brown's football. Um, you know, I was born in 92, so I was born just before uh, the move occurred. So I was very, very young when the move happened. So mm. I don't really remember there not being the Browns. Cause like when I started, you know, uh, having good football memories, well, I mean, not necessarily good football memories, but memories in general that I can look back on, you know, the Browns were back. I mean, it was 99. I remember my dad being super hyped for the Browns coming back. I remember uh, he was, he was crazy about the Browns. Like whenever a game was on, whenever a game was on, he had to watch. And like, you know, those first couple of years we were back, we were always on TV because nobody knew how bad we were going to be. Um, but I remember we'd always go down in the basement and, uh, Whenever he we watched a game, he would go up to the TV and he lost the remote for this TV. It's a big TV in the basement, but he'd lost the remote. So he'd go up and he'd turn it down all the way. And then he'd go back behind our bar and he had this big silver stereo and he'd turn it on and he'd tune it to the local station that carried the Browns yes. and turn it up like all the way. He <laughs> wanted to be able to hear it if he ran to the bathroom. He wanted to hear it if he ran up to the stairs for a snack, but he'd always turn it down. He would say, you know, he needed to turn it off because he didn't want to hear the pro stealer announcers on the game. Turn to Donovan, huh? Yeah, he wanted to listen to Donovan and Deacon. He'd listen to the pregame religiously. He'd listen to the postgame religiously. Yeah. But it was just hilarious. Um, he would always turn it down because he didn't want to hear the pro stealer <laughs> announcers. Oh, and I, so that was his like that was his crazy conspiracy theory was that he always thought the announcers were against us. <laughs> That's so great. And uh, so you and I, and you know, you get this from your dad too, but we both are serious dislike of all things Baltimore from that era. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, but so dad, my big memories with dad are when he yeah. used to start taking me to football games. And uh, he took me to one in 2001. And, you know, I've racked my brain trying mm. to remember what game it is. I've looked at the schedule. Can't remember what it is. But the mm. big the big one that first comes to mind was my second game in 2002 versus mm. the Atlanta Falcons. Oh. Uh, which is a great, great, great game. Um, oh. So, like, like I've sort of hinted at, we actually uh, live closer to Pittsburgh than we do to Cleveland. Um, so, Dad was taking me to this game. And we were going to go and stay with his buddy uh, Bender the night after the game. But then we'd ended up not doing it. But so what he decided was we're going to wake up super early so we can get up there to tailgate. So we wake up at like 4.30. We wake up like 4.30 in the morning, right? I mean, it's the ass crack of dawn. I mean, so (laughs) dark. I don't think I'd ever been up this early in my life, uh, except maybe like on Christmas when I wanted to get some presents. Uh, But we're driving up – driving up the Ohio river and we stop at this small little rinky dink gas station and crap. And he's like, Oh, go. He hands me like 20 bucks. And he goes, go get whatever you want. He goes, make sure to get me some stuff. And I remember coming back out with like literally the most ridiculous snackage. It was like, (laughs) it was like pizza combos and like dad made me get him sun chips and made his guess with both mountain dew. My dad had this crazy principle on road trips. You had to eat something salty to negate whatever you were drinking so you wouldn't have to stop to go to the bathroom. Oh, words to live by. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I remember getting Mountain Dew, and I was fired up because I was like, 
I'm not allowed to have this at home. So it was really, really exciting for me. Uh, but so we drive up to Cleveland after that, you know, no stopping. It was like, you know, he's got a 10 year old in the car and he's like, you are, not, we're not stopping. So make sure whatever you get is salty. So we're driving up there and uh, we went and picked up my dad's buddy Bender uh, and his son. Uh, cause they were both coming with us cause they had season tickets. And then a friend of a friend had season tickets that were right next to him. So whenever we went to games, we'd usually sit with Bender and his boy or, uh, basically Bender and whoever he was bringing, if that was the case, so we went and got, picked him up. He had a ride after the game. So we weren't going to have to go back and drop him off. And my dad was the biggest cheapskate on planet earth when it came to parking. So we're parked out in the like friggin', <laughs> uh, out in the friggin' outskirts of Cleveland somewhere, you know, and we walked, dad found street parking, which shows how far, you know, wow. you were outside the stadium and we park and we hop out. And I don't know why this sticks in my brain, but there was a Hooters there that was closed. And my dad was like, Oh man, it's a pity they're closed. We could go eat there. And like 10 year old me, I'm like, I have no idea what a Hooters is, whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm from little podunk town in West Virginia. I have no idea what a Hooters is. So uh, we start walking in uh, and dad decides, you know, hey, we're going to go tailgate somewhere. And dad was really good about when he went to games of not getting too rowdy with me. Uh, but we would we walked in and I want to say it was in the pit. But I remember walking by all these people selling brown stuff. You know, dad bought me like a toboggan and a shirt because I didn't have a whole lot of brown stuff then. But we went into the pit to go tailgate and there was a friend of a friend of Bender's that had a tailgate down there that we were going to go tailgate with. And, uh, <laughs> the dude was a little eccentric. Uh, <laughs> I think he has since passed cause I, he was one of the, he was like 60 something then, but he had, you know, barbecue. He had all this stuff. It's crazy setup and you were allowed to eat and drink whatever you wanted. But his one rule was you had to eat a dog bone first. <laughs> <laughs> So when wow. you showed up, he had this big tin of milk bones and you had to eat one of the milk bones and then he'd let you drink or eat whatever you wanted of what he brought with you. So uh, I remember awesome. as a 10 year old going, I'm going to eat what now? <laughs> <laughs> but I How ended up eating it. Back? Eh, it was really yeah. chalky. Uh, it wasn't great. <laughs> chalky and dry are probably the two best words for it. But uh, you know, I ate it. I was like, what, what the hell? I'm 10 years old. Let's do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I remember having like burgers and brats and stuff while we were waiting to go into the stadium. Nice. And that then uh, like a blast. we left, we left there probably about a half hour, 45 minutes before kickoff because uh, Bender needed to buy stadium peanuts and sneak them in. Cause they were too darn expensive in the stadium. So he went and bought them from some vendor on the way in. Yeah. Um, but it was so to set the scene for the game, uh, Sorry, a lot of the emotional like oh, yeah. backstory there is what really drove me to being a Browns fan was oh, just yeah. those times with dad. Mm. Um, but mm. the game itself, December 29, 2002, it was, was 34 cool. degrees at kickoff. Um, I don't actually remember it being super cold at that game. I mean, mm. I could be super wrong. Um, I mean, I remember stupid stuff at the game more than uh, more than a lot of the game. Like I went back and have rewatched it. Uh, but there's some big stuff I remember. Um, but I mean, it's like stupid stuff like dad going, Hey, you want nachos and buying me nachos. And they, at the stadium, they used to have these things. They were like, they looked like a football and they were orange and they had salsa on one end and cheese on the other <laughs> end. And then the nachos in the middle, I was so hyped about it. It was like yeah. stupid little crap. But uh, I remember when we were in those seats and, you know, national anthem and all that going off. And then the jets flew overhead and I was like, all right, this is pretty cool. That's all. And, and then, yeah. uh, 
I remember the first big touchdown for Cleveland and how nuts the place went. I mean, it was absolutely exhilarating. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, the big thing about that game was that the Browns were competing for a playoff spot. Oh, that was amazing. Um, What a game. I remember that. (laughs) It's unfortunate that that was the last time the Browns were competing for a playoff spot in serious nature. Um, against Michael Vick, right? The Michael Vick. Against Michael Vick and the Atlanta Falcons. Well, yeah. yeah. So uh, what we needed to do was we needed to win, and we needed either Miami or the Jets to win to be in. Mm. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but so the whole game, you know, yeah. Tim Couch gets hurt, breaks Ooh. his fibula. Yes. Um, bad, bad break. Um, mm. And then Kelly Holcomb comes in and plays – okay i mean he throws a couple interceptions yeah. i mean like kelly holcomb did you know he'd play well enough for you to trust in him but then bad enough for you to not trust him right the, the con- um, when the conditions were right he was tough right but then our rookie running back at that time who had been looking like he was ready to break a run all game <laughs> a young william green breaks oh, one man. off for a huge run i'll forever remember that jim bad. donovan's call oh. on that when we got back to the car um we heard the radio play, but you know, it's the run William run story. And if you just oh, take that it. into YouTube, you can find it. It's so, He's so awesome. He's so excited. That's one of the great calls ever right there. I mean, it's right up there with the, you know, the Chubba Lubba hub oh, one that we had sure. it versus the Falcons. A couple of years ago too. That, although I love that too, but man, that was amazing. That was just, that was, I was watching that from my seminary, little tiny seminary cell room in, in Columbus at the Josephine and just jumping up and down. Sorry, Zach. Go ahead. No, but uh and then at the very end, you know, the Falcons are driving down the field. They have a chance yeah. to win it. Right. They get right inside the goal line. And the one thing I remember about the Browns D that season was they were never gonna beat you like with crazy sacks or interceptions or lockdown coverage, but they were money inside the red zone. Mm. Uh mm. you know, some big studs on that team like Gerard Warren or Andre Davis. <laughs> <laughs> big uh, money big money gerard warren yeah, yeah. Um, but so the falcons drive down fourth down from like the two mm. and there's like a there's like a minute left on the clock and they yeah. just need to score to win and right. they decide they need a touchdown to win so they decide to go for it mm. and the browns stuff them and the whole place went oh. bonkers started erupting i mean it was it felt my dad said it felt like old school browns again Woo. But then right. after uh, that happened, everybody started turning to the scoreboards to look and see what happened in the games we needed to win to be in. Mm, mm. And Miami got crushed. <laughs> I don't remember who it was by, but I remember uh, Miami getting crushed. Uh-huh. And dad goes, well, shit. And so he's like, well, he, he says bye to Bender, you know, hey, thanks for the tickets, blah, 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 blah. You know, uh, and then we decide to tear off. Dad's like, we got to get back to the truck so we can hear if the, uh, here who's winning in this game and the jets and it was like all right and so we run from the stadium almost not i wouldn't say run but quick my dad was like you uh matt he had big long strides and i'm 10 years old trying to keep up with him (laughs) so we're walking through you know people going nuts you know here we go brownies here we go like going bonkers outside the stadium yeah we run back out to the outskirts get in a truck (laughs) and go flying home listening on a radio and i remember Uh, hearing the audio highlights of that Mm. And the Jets ended up winning big in the Meadowlands, I believe. I think they ended up crushing them. And we ended up making the playoffs, setting us up for my first vivid Pittsburgh Steeler Ah. memory in the playoffs. (laughs) And then um, that's, you know, in that that Steelers game, 
you know, my dad was back in again, you know, with all the stuff. But I remember my dad in hilarious fashion. And this is this is so bad because I I'm I was a little bit maybe more of it by that point than a more <laughs> astute Browns fan than my dad. But I just remember <laughs> we had that big lead. And in the third quarter, Pops is like against Steelers in that playoff game. Oh, we got this. Come on, relax a little bit. And I'm like, no, Pops. <laughs> I was like, no, Pops. And then, of course, that's the Northcutt drop game. So, um, funny story. So, you know, yeah. finishing that story, we drive yeah. home, listening to radio calls uh, the whole way. I remember listening to the post game enraptured. Every time the guy that was doing a post game, I don't remember who it was at that point, would switch yeah. to an update on the Jets game. My dad literally making me look through the Browns media guide to see what local Browns affiliates were on the drive home so we could tune and be on the station. So he hands me this media guide he bought and he goes, all right, we're closer to Youngstown. See if you can get us a better signal. And so I'm sitting there tuning the radio, trying to find these signals. Hmm. And uh, it was hilarious. The whole, the whole trip home. And then we get home and, you know, we find out the jets had finally won and, you know, because it was like a four o'clock start, I think, on that Jets game. Yeah. And we find out we're in the playoffs. My dad runs into the house, picks up the phone that he had in the bar in the basement right by a silver stereo, and yeah. he kicks on We Will Rock You by Queen on this old VHS tape and calls Bender on speakerphone <laughs> and has it blaring through the house. And my mom was like, well, the Browns must have won, huh? Oh, <laughs> and it's like, is that you, know, I, you think him blaring music may have poked at it a little? <laughs> but, hey, and – uh it's so funny though. I was thinking a little bit about that where you're telling that story, Zach. And I love that. And, uh, our dad's passion our their fiery passion sort of, uh, tried us in the furnace, you know, and, and, and gave us some of that fire for the Brown. Uh, for sure. I mean, you know, it's crazy though. When I was a kid, uh, any game I went to with my dad, the Browns won. I was undefeated That's awesome. going to Browns games until like 2011. <laughs> Uh, which was the Brandon Whedon, Mike Vick interception off. I was there for that one too. Oh. Uh, you know that was my first loss ever. Oh, and that's in the stadium. I know. Hey, which, considering their record from 2001 to 2011, it's pretty yeah. remarkable. I saw a win. I, I love it. <laughs> you know, a couple things I, I was thinking of um, too, what, when you were saying that, and I'm just thinking about in it, you know, a lot of times, our great Brown and this doesn't this always come true, but our great Browns wins. We, we often think of the Browns as come from behind, but typically it was the defense had to make a play at the end for us to win. Yeah. Somebody had to do something. I mean, that, that game was, that game was pretty much vintage there. I mean, and especially when you see the NFL trending more towards stronger offenses and stuff these days. Um, yeah. But, I mean, if you look at the big championship winners in the last couple of years, they've had at least solid defenses. I mean, outside of Kansas City, I mean, their defense wasn't great last season. But, I mean, it was good enough. Boy, I'll tell you what, uh, this year and hopefully Miles gets back uh, and he's and he's ready to go, which I'm sure he will. That's, that's going to be amazing. But to have somebody, and maybe Vernon on, on the other side too, to put a little heat, Put a little heat on on opposing quarterbacks, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh just to sort of talk a little bit about our yeah. uh, format here, uh what yeah. we're looking to do, you know, is do um just some light conversation about our uh you know favorite team here. Um 
you know, we, we're thinking we'll do like a schedule rundown. We're thinking we'll do a draft rundown. Um, one of the things we really like to do is debate lists. So let's have a list of something and go back and forth on that. And then um, because we called ourselves behind enemy lines, because as I hinted at earlier, we're closer to Pittsburgh than Cleveland. Um, we have a friend that is a Steeler fan who is a giant pain in the rear end. But uh, we're going to have him on, too, and we'll have a little bit of, you know, back and forth that's kind of fun there. And then I've got a couple – we've got a couple other friends that are, you know, Bengals and Ravens fans. We thought we could maybe have them on down the line, too, just to sort of, you know, keep things interesting and not just have all Browns perspective all the time. Boy, there's no uh, – and, you know, that's cool. We're going to get some uh, – our divisional buddies involved there, but there's no easy wins in the North these days. It doesn't Not yet. look like, you know, now with the Bengals upgrading and the Lamar looking so tough. So we'll keep, we'll keep that sort of stuff um, for our schedule show, which I think is going to be probably our third episode. If I had to guess, we'll probably do draft next time. I think nice. like draft and free agency, maybe. Um, so I have um, a fun little game that, I think we can do it towards the end of a lot of episodes, Matt. And I think uh, players we were very wrong about that were either Ooh. drafted or free agents. I love it. Um, okay. And so basically with this game, you know, it's a player that we thought was going to be really, really good for one reason or another <laughs> that either flamed out due to personal issues or. Oh. Uh, well, you know, who comes to mind for me right off <laughs> you and I, we were so hyped for some, Johnny football, Jonathan football. Oh my God. I was so excited. Did you, did you see his video that was on social media this week? No. Uh, -uh. Uh, so he posted a video of him trying to do like a backflip off a rock face, like into the ocean or a lake or something somewhere. Uh And he just totally flopped and fell. And, uh, he posted it and he said, this went about as well as my time in the league. (laughs) Oh, Johnny. I was kind of hoping that he would, um, get it back together a little bit and maybe get another shot but you know well so he was one of those guys that you know it wasn't the football that got to him it was the personal stuff that got to him i mean there's a really really awesome if you know not to cross promote or anything but uh the tomahawk show with joe and uh joe thomas and andrew hawkins had a freaking awesome episode where they had johnny on and talked about his struggles I remember um, I heavily, I heavily recommend if anybody who wants to yeah. know more about Johnny goes on and listens to that episode. They tell the Billy Vegas story. I mean, they tell it all. I mean, Ooh, it was when yeah. he was starting to make his comeback, but then ended up that ended up kind of fizzling out too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we were both hyped about Johnny. I mean, he had all the physical tools in the world. He just never committed mentally. There's something there, you know, and you look at, uh, Tom Brady's great success and just preparation and all that. Supposedly, uh, Johnny Manziel uh, was the rift that was driven between Mike Pettin, uh, Kyle Shanahan, and the front office. Because Shanahan supposedly did a bunch of scouting and a bunch of his guys um, that are with him now, actually, in San Fran. Who did he want? He didn't want Manziel. He He didn't want Manziel. He wanted Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh, he wanted Jimmy G. That's right. He wanted, he wanted Jimmy G. He wanted either yeah. Jimmy G or uh, I think Teddy Bridgewater was the other one he wanted that mm-hmm. season. Yeah. Um, but I'm, and then that was what kind of started driving the wedge between Shanny and Petten. And I truthfully believe the fall apart of the Mike Petten era was when we let Kyle Shanahan go. Well, I think he wanted to be a head coach, so we weren't going to keep him too much longer there. No, and I, and I think. And I think that's what kind of 
I think that's kind of what prompted him moving on. I mean, that and the PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, painful, slightly painful memories there. Yeah, that one's a little bit painful. But, uh, yeah, Johnny had all the talent in the world. And I remember uh, a couple players at that time said they liked when Johnny was in because uh, everybody felt live. You know, like when Brian mm-hmm. Hoyer was in that season, they said, mm-hmm. you know, they had the p- two primary reads on everything, and if that wasn't there, he was going right. to check it down. They're like, with yeah. Johnny, though, he barely knew the play, so he was kind of backyard football in it. And so everybody was live because he could throw it at anybody at any time. Mm, that's interesting. I just remember thinking it was too quick for uh for a man. So I just thought I know we disagreed on this at the time, but I thought Hoyer was hanging us in that, keeping us in stuff, you know, and had a had some big wins there, and maybe we could have. But I guess the ceiling, maybe they were thinking it wasn't super well, high. A lot there. of a lot of the players at that point too. I mean, you got to look at like Joe Thomas, Andrew Hawkins, a lot of those right. guys that were on that team at that point yeah. that were very vocal. Mm-hmm. They wanted to keep Hoyer in, but That's they right. also but they also understood the appeal of that Johnny Manziel right. factor. Yeah. You know, if you have this dynamo on the bench, but they looked at him, they just saw he wasn't ready. And that's yeah, something that a lot of us fans don't see, you know, us not being around the team. Absolutely. But, that, I mean, that's not saying Joe Thomas is always correct because he's whiffed on a lot of uh, people he thought was going to be good. <laughs> um, oh. You know, hoping he's right with our current uh, draft picks. But um, Oh, yes. Which, uh, I don't know, the more I see of Wills, I, I really like him a lot. I, I'm really coming around on him. Um, and so another thing I thought we could do is uh, – so players we were totally wrong about, you know, Johnny Manziel comes to mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to throw one out uh, that, again, I was a kid at the time, so I thought yeah. it was going to be really, really, really successful. Mm-hmm. Um, Cameron Wimbley. Ooh. Yeah. I oh. was convinced he was going to be good. And he, if you remember, he had that great rookie year where oh, he had yeah. a bunch of sacks and he was uh-huh. looking like a beast. Yeah, and then he just – You always talk about Zach. Yeah, he had the bend. And, like, I remember Cameron Wimbley. I was so freaking excited about that guy. And uh, he did jack after he was with the Browns. Uh, Mm -hmm. Let me see here. We drafted him in 2006, and he had one forced fumble and 11 sacks. Right. And then he never got higher than 10 in the rest of his career. And, And who did he go to after? Cleveland. Uh, so he bounced. He went from us to Oakland, and then went from Oakland That's to right. Tennessee. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, in Oakland, actually, they actually ran him some snaps at defensive tackle. He he played all so right they, in Oakland. They uh, they kind of flexed him around, uh, but he was one of those guys that I was convinced was going to be a stud. And uh, for us, yeah. he kind of was a dud. For for a minute, he he had a lot of promise. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean that that rookie year, he was great. I, I remember think, being so fired up about. Oh him. man, that was a great year. And I think he had some nagging injuries after that too. Which, I think he did yeah. too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was he was one of those guys that I was convinced was going to be great. Uh, <laughs> they have uh, players whose career was of similar quality. They've got people like Chris Gokong and Scott Fujita and other people like that that also uh, had time for the Browns. Scott Fujita, man, he was great. I would, had hope for him because he came off at Super Bowl leading, and he played really well. Leading, oh, he played great. Leading the Saints, right? Yeah, the Saints. Yeah, Fujita was actually, yeah. I mean, 
Fujito is never going to be that guy that jumped off film at you as like a stud, but he was that guy that was going to do everything right. And he was so football smart. He got he reminds me of career. Yeah. He reminds me of your buddy that just left for Jacksonville, uh, Joe Schobert, you know, where he's not going to blow you off the film, but yeah, he's going to yeah. be reliable and he's going to be football smart. Yeah, I would have, I, I was kind of bummed we didn't keep Joe, but I guess I can understand, you know, the money on it all. I don't even know if it's the money. I think it's just he wanted top 10 money, and I don't know if he's a top 10 linebacker. But, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm excited about some of the kids we drafted to play linebacker. and No doubt that linebacker is going to be an interesting spot. It's going to, it's, pro- it's probably the biggest question mark on our defense, yeah. if I had to guess. Because I just remember last year, and, um, you know, it seemed Taki Taki was lost when he was in there to me. Yeah. Let me, uh, I'm trying to remember how many snaps Taki Taki even got he didn't in. Get a ton. It is sort of, uh, some late game duties last year, but, uh, I think he played mostly special teams, right? Mostly special teams. But, you know, you could see though at times, uh, he, he's aggressive. So maybe if we can start making some aggressive plays in the run game, um, you know, yeah. All right. So uh, to sort of wrap up our little segment here, uh, let's go uh, with a the player right now on the Browns roster that wasn't a draft pick that you think is uh, most essential to the Browns' success, and it can't be Baker Mayfield. That wasn't a draft pick. Well, like this current this year, current season. Yeah. Okay. So who on the team is most essential to the Browns' future that isn't Baker Mayfield and wasn't a draft pick this season? Mm, That isn't Baker. Boy, is that a tough – that's a great one. I'm going to say – I'm going to go MG, big fella. Big fella? And and I'm going to say Miles. And if if he can be just dominant like he was uh, for part of the season last year, you know, we were playing well. Gosh, we should we should have been celebrating that Steelers victory. What a so, dominant win. You need you need him to be cut from the same cloth, you know, in Joe Woods defensive coordinator career. Because you need him to what, be Vaughn Miller esque, right? Yeah. And because look what uh, you know, look what he was doing there. And when you put that kind of pressure on on an opposing team's quarterback and they can't do the things that they had game plan to do because they can't stop you, uh, then it gives our offense shorter fields, you know, things uh, more manageable, which I think Baker this year, I love that two tight end deal. And I love getting him out of the pocket and that play action stuff. I think he's going to be tough for us this year, but we need help from the defense and putting all that kind of pressure. That's what we didn't have when miles was gone and how absolutely we had, we had no pass rush. Uh, uh, Olivier Vernon got hurt. You know, Chad Thomas is what Chad Thomas is. Um, so we needed more pass rush. And I think we got a little bit more of that too, in the draft, which we'll get to again in our uh, draft coverage. Hey, and uh, Vernon's been tough when he's in there. Yeah, Vernon, when he's in, is great, and he's a great compliment to Miles on the other side. And that's another place I think you could see Taki Taki a little bit this season is maybe flexing him down to that defensive end and letting him rush the passer a little bit. I, I kind of um, like that. And, you know, um, we were talking about this a little bit more, and I guess with our draft stuff we can talk about with Delpit and all. But if you've got some guys that can really cover, 
now like a talky talky, somebody aggressive in, in run support that could balance out pretty well. You know? Absolutely. I mean, well, so you look at it a lot of times uh, in the modern NFL or even in, in the NFL in general, it's kind of a chicken and the egg type conversation. You know, what help does, you know, an elite pass rush is going to help your coverage or is an elite coverage going to help your pass rush. Mm. So it's kind of one of like the great debates, chicken or the egg style where, right. uh, where, you know, Miles My- and Olivier and Ogan Joby and a lot of those guys on the interior of the line pushing, you know, the quarterback putting pressure on the quarterback is going to make him make mistakes and throw it into bad coverage. But then you also look on the outside and we've got, you know, Money Mitch, we've got uh, Denzel Ward, we've got Greedy Williams, we've got some guys who can cover man Love to it. man. Zach, and so it's like back on you, my brother. Yeah, uh, so my guy, uh, and I'll I'll stand for him forever. Uh, I want this man to retire, Cleveland Brown. Mm. It is Jarvis Landry. Oh, I just, geez. you know, while OBJ gets a lot of the credit because you know he's a superstar and he's a superstar, the likes of which I don't think Cleveland's seen mm. maybe ever. Mm. Um, mm. Maybe the only other the only other person that's been as big a superstar in the city of Cleveland has been LeBron James. I think Odell Beckham is that level of superstar. Ah, Um, But I think Jarvis Landry is far more essential to the success of the Cleveland Browns. Mm. I mean, I always think back to that speech he gives on hard knocks, that super impassioned, like, unless your bone has fallen out, get on the field and play (laughs) this game. Uh, He's like, I think his passion, I think his fire that he brings to the game is what's Mm. really, really essential to setting that culture in Cleveland. Mm. Um, I just, I just think the fire he brings, the leadership he brings. And, I mean, the other thing that really speaks out, and a lot of people that live in Cleveland know this, and, I mean, you know, we're not in Cleveland, so we don't see it as much, but Jarvis is one of the foremost involved people in that community. I mean, constantly giving jerseys, signing gloves. They said uh, he was out buying groceries for his family, which, you know, he's got a ton of money. He doesn't have to be doing that if he doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. But he was out uh, – picking up groceries for his family and ran into some random fans and he takes off his shoes and gives them to some fan. He runs into the parking lot of a grocery store. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just cool stuff. I mean, he's, a, he's a cool dude. He's great for the community. And I think in that wide receiver room, I think you need a guy like that, a guy with sure hands. that's a hard worker. And he has that chip on his shoulder for being a second round pick. He's convinced he should have been a first round pick. And, He's one of those guys, he kind of reminds me, so his time at LSU with Odell, he reminds me of when we had, uh, I'm a huge WVU Mountaineers fan, when we had Stedman Bailey and Tavon Austin, you know, Tavon Austin was getting all the accolades, but Stedman was just as reliable. Oh, yeah. And that's and that's kind of what that LSU offense reminded me of. You know, Jarvis was just the reliable guy that did everything you needed him to do, while Odell was that guy out there making crazy catches and taking the top off. And while I think they're both essential, I just I just only, love what he brings. My only fear about and I love I like your pick and I love your uh, positivity on that. Uh, and I I want to keep it positive too. But my only fear is in a you know our buddy SG when he comes on that he he loves to talk about this kind of stuff. Our Steelers guy is sometimes you have to win to keep everybody on the same page, and that made me nervous last year when. You know, some things weren't going right. And then suddenly, you know, there's all this talk about juice and maybe OBJ were saying, get us out of here and all this kind of thing. And I thought, oh, man. So I hope, uh, I think 
you know, if there's any truth to that stuff, which you argue there might not be any truth to that. Yeah, um, I don't think there's a whole lot of truth to that at all. Um, a lot of – I had only seen it from a couple of people on Twitter during games. And, I mean, let's be real here. Odell is so close with some of the people at ESPN. If he really wanted out, Josina Anderson or some of those people that he's really close with at ESPN would be leaking more trade rumors than already existed, I think. But I'm, I'm trying to stay positive. I think Kevin Stefanski is going to do a good job. I think Because, so. I mean – he did a great job of managing two big personality wide receivers in Minnesota with Thielen and Diggs. So I think he can handle it if anybody can. Yeah, I like it. Uh, we got and with some tough early games there, but uh, I think we got to get um, get some early wins, and then I think, man, I I, I think uh, you know if we can get some tough wins early, Baltimore, you know, those are, those are gonna be tough. Those are gonna be real tough. The tone. Hmm. Yeah, um, but. Uh, no, I love it. And, uh, you know, I think those guys, too, they want to win. But, you know, the, the old argument, none of those guys have really won much. So, uh, you know, Juice, he didn't win much in Miami. OBJ sure wasn't winning in New York. Well, I mean, I mean that that's another argument that a lot of people make, is that a lot of su- teams with superstar wide receivers don't win a whole lot. But, so I mean – I think that I think we're seeing that change a little bit. Uh, I mean, if you look at Kansas City, I mean, they had some stud wide receivers in Tyreek, even if he is a human garbage can. Um, well, I'll tell you what, though, Zachy, I love that. You know, Juice is tough, and he catches the ball, and he's a clutch dude. I just, I just think what he brings to the team can't be overstated. I mean, I mean, he's just, I mean, he's the lifeblood of that wide receivers room, and yeah. I think him him having a kid and, you know, being with his girlfriend and everything. I think Odell and Baker being around that, I think it's good for them because they see, you know, somebody that's a little bit down to earth and is a little bit less prone to, uh, you know, that party scene or anything like that. Like, I don't think now in OBJ's career with Jarvis around and people to ground him that we're going to have another situation like, you know, what was it? The boat for the giants where they're all on that boat, like the day before a playoff game or whatever. Yeah. Man, I'd be loving it if we were talking about day before a playoff game this year. Oh, it's it's a possibility, and you know, yeah, I think I think with that, that's probably a good place to wrap up at least this portion of our episode. And with that, that brings us to the conclusion of today's episode. Uh, we were going to have originally another segment, but our Steeler fan proved that he is more whipped than he. Uh, it likes to admit, so he's doing housework. Uh, with that, it brings us to the end of today's episode. We'd like to thank you know the Browns for giving us something to talk about. We'd also like to thank our uh, wonderful wives who tolerate our insanity and our obsessive Browns fandom, even if they are on the wrong side of the rivalry. Thank you guys, and we'll see you all next time.